divine androgen, a sacred path for gender variant people, a book dedicated to every drag performer, transgender person, and other gender variant people that have passed to the other side, that have suffered the wrath of our binary world. Thank you for living your truth and treading us a path. We are sorry that in many cases that cost you your life. Now, we ask for your assistance in helping humans evolve so that we may all live in peace and equality. We honor your life by walking our own personal path of authenticity. Get this amazing book all about living as a non-binary person, a gender variant person in a binary world. How to navigate it, how to harvest your true self when you're surrounded by binary. It's a guidebook for people searching for their true selves. The book is intended for people that are gender variant and can be helpful for people searching for a more authentic self or clearing trauma. This book is about treading your own path. It includes my story in the beginning, all about how I figured out how I express gender and now how it comes out for me, how I discovered it, and how I dealt in the world as a response to that. And it also details out the ways that I unfolded myself in a way that helped me live in a binary world, even though I was non-binary. There are steps in here to help you define your own path. Hollis uses the word divine androgen. It's like a label to define someone that defines their own authentic path regardless of their gender expression in a way to say that it is sacred to be non-binary, to be transgender, to be queer. It is sacred, not religious. No, no. We're talking about more of a spiritual conscious awareness of ourselves and our path on authenticity. This book is about defining your path of authenticity, as authentic and unique as that is for you. You can also order the book at divineandrogen.com. Support Rainbow Soul. Check out the Rainbow Soul merchandise for your favorite new shirt. A variety of colors and styles to suit your taste. Show off your love for Rainbow Soul. Get cool designs with your favorite quotes. Designs come in a variety of colors so that you can express your most authentic self. Support Rainbow Soul in spreading the word that queer, gender variant, intersex, transgender is sacred. Rainbow Soul, putting the soul back into queer. Order your unique Rainbow Soul merchandise at rainbowsoul.show. Welcome to Rainbow Soul, an explorative discussion about spirituality, 
beyond mainstream religions. Hollis Taylor, author, psychic, astrologer, and alchemical mage, brings their non-binary perspective together with fellow drag king and trans man LaCrosse Ortiz, a Jewish Taino with spiritual background of exploration that has led him to an atheist perspective. Join these guys as they explore deep and difficult topics, all related to spirituality, offering a queer perspective, an exploration of interesting topics, and engaging guests to help explore conversations for the rainbow soul. Hello, welcome everyone. Welcome to Rainbow Soul. I'm so glad you're tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. And we are super excited. Happy 2022, right? Happy New Year. I hope you had a great holiday. I hope you celebrated in whatever fashion works for you. And this week, lacrosse can't be here. So sad because this is one of his favorite topics. But that's okay. We have our beloved and our loved Bright Hey, good to see y'all. Good to be here back at Rainbow Soul, favorite program. I'm so glad that you're here. (laughs) And the hilarious part about this is I did not put this particular uh, people together. Now, first of all, let me tell you who I am. I'm Hollis Taylor. I'm the author. I'm a author of Divine Androgen. I'm also a psychic, a medium, an astrologer, a tarot reader, and a general all-around kind of freaky techno mage. And this is my partner, Bright Hawk. <laughs> Tell them who you are, Bright Hawk. Hi, I'm Bright Hawk. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a sound healer. I'm the author of The Dancing Hippo, a beautiful, beautiful storybook illustrated by Amanda Moore. It is a gender neutral book. It is free of gender pronouns. How rare is that, right? And it's just incredible. It's got a great message. I'm very proud of it. The story is about resilience. So that's And I think we part. can all use some of that right now. <laughs> and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited about our topic and our guest. Right? Because, okay, so first of all, I just want to tune you guys in to let you know that me and Brighthawk's favorite thing to do together is to watch astrology. Um, one of our favorite things to do. One of our favorite do. things to do together <laughs> is, astrology. is to watch astrology yeah. or either watch a report or learn together. We take classes together, okay? And um, we also enjoy talking about it. And the hilarious part is, is that we have, we do have a friend that, that we love talking to him about it. And then it's hilarious because if you put the three of us in the same room, you know, the chatter could go on for a long time about astrology. And accidentally, I just said, I think, oh, I want to make sure I have this person on the show. And I wanted to make sure. And then it just so happened that lacrosse couldn't make it and that you made it. And I was like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? The universe sees (laughs) sees it necessary that the three of us meet at least virtually. So I want to welcome to the show a really great astrologer, 
And in my opinion, he is a master. What do you call it? Taylor? Wait a minute. <laughs> that's my last name. Okay. So no, like check this... out this fabulous vest custom made by our next guest, the astrologer, our good friend and awesome human being. Andrew, Andrew Watermountain. Yeah, what? Andrew, so good to see you. Welcome. Hi, Brighthawk. Hi, Hollis. Glad I'm to be so here. Glad you're here. And look who's here. Quellen. <laughs> hey, hey Quellen. We were hoping you'd make it too. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year. Andrew, why don't you tell us just a little bit about who you are? Well, uh, Let's see. I think that I first met Brighthawk in California, sort of near Santa Cruz, yeah. uh, up in the mountains at, for fire dance. Yeah. So that was 2003, maybe 2002, something like that, that we first knew one another. So it has been 20 years. Wow. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I was a school teacher. I've since left school teaching and I have kicked around doing a variety of self-employed things that have sort of worked, sort of not worked. And then just in the last three or four years, I set up shop as a professional astrologer and that's been going gangbusters. So here I am. Yeah. The astrology world feels like it's exploding, eh? <laughs> well, I think that that's true. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And we can talk about that if you want, but a big part of it, I think is that people are, are tired of not knowing how to make meaning out of their lives. And they look to astrology and other tools like this to give them a chance to figure out how to make meaning out of their lives. So that's what we're here to do. Absolutely. And I frankly don't know how you could have gotten through. I can't imagine for myself living through the last two years without astrology. Astrology was such a forecast weather system, you know, get your umbrella out, get your surfboard out, get your shorts on, you know, what's the weather going to be and how to survive the last two years and not feel like you were losing your freaking mind because that was part of the experience, you know? Right. And sometimes the space weather tells you to get on your sarong and sometimes it's your, your tall wellies so that you can go wading. Exactly. <laughs> gotta... You got to know which one. <laughs> They're vastly different. Am I planning a picnic or am I going to war? You know, <laughs> a little bit of both these last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. And we have a great crowd. We've got Tamala, Tamala uh, Wandering Juice. Greetings. We probably know who she, who she is. And Sandy, welcome, Sandy. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Sandy. And... Great to have you here. <laughs> and uh, and Jamie's with us. Jamie Angel's with us. She's talking about lacrosse. He can watch the replay. <laughs> yeah, he said he was going to. So, all right. So, Andrew, I am, I'll tell you what, the one thing that has come up for me in, like, astrology is, okay, we made it through 2021. Now what? <laughs> I'm... I'm going to give a shout out to the folks on the Astrology Podcast, which is run by Chris Brennan and Austin Kopic. Um, and, and I think the most recent uh, forecast episode was with Lisa Shine, 
I really respect them. And one of the things that they said is that there's a lot about this coming year that looks like a continuation of the previous year. It's not as bad as 2020, but it's sort of like the second half of a really, really long 2021. And, and there's a lot of, of value in that. And I can see Brighthawk going, oh my God. But, but let's talk about what some of the challenges are. We have one planet, which is Uranus, which in the way that I practice, I tend to associate with mass movements uh, of a sort of sudden and revolutionary category, category, right? So we've got uh, a resurgence in unions. We have a resurgence in populist movements. We have the appearance of nationalist and paramilitary forces. And all of these are examples of resurgent popular opinion, whether conservative or, or liberal, whether leftist or rightist, insurgents deciding that they want things to change. And we have Saturn, which is the planet of the status quo. And these two planets are currently in a square. They are going to be in a square for most of the year. And, uh, and sometimes that square is going to be exact, and sometimes it's going to be by orb. But one way or another, that contention between the established order and the insurgents that want change is going to be in play throughout the entire year. So that's a, a big part of the continuing story. And, and it won't resolve this year. It'll probably start resolving early next year. But, but that's a big piece of what we're dealing with. So for those listeners who are in the United States, it's worth remembering that political movements are another way that these insurgencies express themselves and you should make sure that you're registered to vote and you're in a position to vote this year. So, so I think that's a big piece of the story. The, the second big piece of the story is that we have, um, we have, at least until May, we have Jupiter and Neptune in Pisces. And Jupiter is, is the generous planet. Jupiter is... Uh, a functional social security, if you will. Like the name for Jupiter is the greater benefic. And Neptune is the planet of dreams and daydreams and illusions and the popular madness of crowds and all of the kinds of forces that look at whatever government and leadership is telling us them and goes, well, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> uh Neptune has been characterized as waves, right? It is the slow wash of the waves under the seawall. The seawall is structure that's very Jupiterian, right? As we put up a seawall in order to keep out the waves, but in order to give human beings a place to stand on dry land. And Neptune is just going to wash away the kinds of helpful structures that we have in our lives. And those two planets are, are going to be approaching conjunction between now and early May. I, I don't have the date of, of the exact conjunction, but they're going to be close enough to affect one another all throughout this coming spring. So January through May. And then Jupiter is going to rush in May into Aries and we're going to get a very different kind of character. So that's a second big theme to be aware of is that popular influence is going to be washing away uh, 
the positive and helpful structures that we think have been put into place to help us. So one of the ways that that can manifest and which we have seen manifesting is lots of people telling us how how helpful and good vaccines are and lots of people saying, well, I'm not going to take vaccines. And it also manifests as people saying, well, here are 10 things that you can do to help you avoid COVID. And you don't know whether or not that information is accurate or valuable or, or correct, right? The information is in flux. And this is, of course, something that um, communities that are sort of on the margins of mainstream society have lots of experience with. You know, the phrase, we're from the government, we're here to help you alarms conservatives, but it also alarms a good many uh, minority and marginalized communities because they don't really know. Um, There are huge numbers of of people who are choosing not to get vaccinated, not because they think that the vaccines are going to make them hear 5G signals or whatever, but because they genuinely know that, that 30 or 40 years ago, their community was injected with poisons, uh, for tests and experimental purposes. So there's there's a lot of that kind of energy here in this Jupiter-Neptune combination. Now, there is a, there are some bright spots, right? For most of the last year, Saturn and Jupiter have been in the same signs. They've both been in Aquarius since December of 2020. They had a big conjunction, an unusual conjunction, the, the first that has that of that kind that has taken place since about 1186. It was the first Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in an air sign uh, since the Middle Ages. And that was a huge deal. Um, and then they spent all this past year in Aquarius together. Jupiter likes to solve problems. Saturn likes to cause problems. Jupiter likes to expand and forgive, and Saturn likes to restrain, constrain, and punish. And so you have these two forces operating in parallel with one another. Well, now Jupiter is in Pisces, and Jupiter wants to expand and enrich and solve problems, and Saturn wants to constrain, restrain, and limit, right? So we've got those two things. And they are now operating in two completely different spheres of your life, right? So Jupiter is going to solve all sorts of problems in your life, but they're not going to be the ones that are caused or constrained by Saturn, right? So anything that where Aquarius appears in your specific chart is going to continue to be restrained and constrained and limited and more so than it was this past year. And anything having to do with Pisces in your chart is going to be expanded and opened and have new energy around it. We're going to have all sorts of new solutions, and none of them are going to involve what we see as the key problems in our lives. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah, because most people see the virus as a key problem. Right. And when you think about the virus itself, right? our impression of it is fixed air. It is uh, air being locked up in the chest and not being transferred from the, from the chest and from the lungs into the bloodstream. Uh, Aquarius is the sign of fixed air, right? So 
COVID is literally manifesting as fixed air, air being locked up and not transferring between outside to inside and then from inside to bloodstream. And that's, that's really how COVID has manifested for us, right? And so with Jupiter in Aquarius, we've gotten loosening of restrictions, tightening of restrictions, loosening of restrictions, tightening of restrictions over and over again as those two planets have been playing with one another. Now, with Saturn there alone, it's tightening of restrictions and loosening of other kinds of issues in our lives that have nothing to do with COVID. But I think that there's a reason why we've seen an expansion of variants at the same time that Jupiter has finally left Aquarius and moved into Pisces. Yeah, I think um, I heard uh, one astrologer describe uh, Jupiter as bringing some entrepreneurial energy into it, some, I, which is an interesting perspective, I thought. I um, think that that's a very interesting uh, perspective because Jupiter in Pisces sees the big picture, right? I tend to be a traditionalist in how different planets rule different signs. So in, in the traditional rulership scheme, Jupiter is considered to be the ruler or in domicile in Pisces. And so it's a very, very favorable placement for him. He gets to do pretty much whatever he wants, like he's a king at home. And it's a lovely, lovely, rich and, uh, and big picture kind of feeling for him. And, you know, this is a place where he gets to kick off his shoes and put his feet up on the desk and just order people around tea, Earl Grey, hot, put a shot of bourbon in it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and that means that if he feels like signing off on whatever your entrepreneurial project is, he will. It'll Everything is hunky-dory with Jupiter in Pisces. It's just you won't be able to move anything connected with Saturn in Aquarius. I, Saturn in Aquarius currently is, is squatting on the part of my chart dealing with extended family. And I'm having a devil of a time making arrangements to go and see my parents dealing with my aunt and uncle or seeing my cousins or connecting with uh, my dad's side of the family up in Maine. Every time that I try to set something up, it goes astray and and it's become more prevalent just since, uh, since Jupiter passed over Saturn and finally left Saturn behind on the 29th, I think it was of December and entered Pisces. So you can so, find yeah. out if you look at your if you take a look at your birth chart, if you go to astro.com, you can get your free birth chart. You need what time you were born and um, and where you were born and of course your birthday. And if you look where what house Aquarius is in, you can assume that Saturn is also there. And I'm just giving a real like basic beginner um, instructions. Um And if you look at that, that's probably the area that Saturn and Aquarius is going to affect you most. Uh, And mine's on family, too. And I haven't seen my grandkids since 2019. So. Yeah, which happens to be roughly when Saturn entered Aquarius. Gee, go figure, right? Right. So, and that's kind of how it goes. And so whatever... Wherever it is, wherever Aquarius is in your life, and if there are other planets there, it will definitely influence it. So. And uh, Sandy, I totally get it. 
uh, it's great reminder that Aquarius is fixed air because the symbol of Aquarius is the water bearer. People often confuse it as a water sign. It's very common, but <clears throat> it follows Pisces. Follows, proceeds. 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 <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it proceeds Pisces, which is the water sign that we're talking about as well. And Sandy just said that all this time, she thought that Aquarius was a water sign. I, uh, for years, made that mistake. For years. <laughs> I've made that mistake, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's okay. You're not the only one. So, yeah. figuring out that Aquarius is that, is that air sign is your first step into a larger universe. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I find that Aquarian energy is, is kind of rebellious, but rebellious in more of like a humanitarian way. Like they typically Aquarian, why. Aquarian why are we doing it that have, way? Have this? Are we treating everybody fairly? Are we doing the right thing? Um, and Aquarian also, it does tend to be rebellious and out of the box, like do things, but for a greater calling, usually. Yeah, uh, Austin Kopic, who was mentioned by somebody else in the chat, but it's C O P P O C K. Uh, wrote a book called 36 faces which is about the the one third sections of each zodiac sign so there's 360 degrees in a in a circle 10 degrees is called a decan or a face and austin has written the the sort of standard work about them at this point and he calls the three decans of of aquarius the mark of exile as in you know, Cain of Cain and Abel's mark on his forehead that says you can no longer be part of the community. Uh, and then the middle one is called heaven and earth in his system. And then the third one is called the knot. So you can think of, of it as if you've got a, a planet in zero through nine degrees of, of Aquarius and however many minutes of nine degrees, but zero through nine is the mark of exile. You have a tendency to stand on the outside of a community and look in and criticize. Yeah, I see Brighthawk is crossing her arms there and sort of frowning from the edges of the circle. You're not welcome at the community fire, but you can see that the people be around the community fire have all kinds of hypocrisy and you are able to deliver creative criticism to the center. If you've got 10 through 19 degrees that's heaven and earth. You tend to be a utopian. You have an idealistic vision of how the community should actually run. And you're constantly trying to get people to buy into your particular vision. And then if you actually get to be in charge, you have the difficulties of trying to actually implement your vision, which is not always easy because people are complicated, right? And then the third decan, which is from 20 degrees to 29 degrees and 59 minutes, that's the knot. And it's about yeah. untangling and rebalancing and smoothing out relationships and being the, the manager of the entanglements and, and helping people untangle or, or disengage from their traumas. And I think that that's a really helpful way of framing the three different parts of Aquarius, right? Aquarius as a whole is a servant sign. You have a fixed body of knowledge, a fixed intelligence. You're really skilled at working with 
a particular field of knowledge like Brighthawk with music or Hollis with understanding the, the trans experience in a, from a variety of different angles. And then you can apply that, that deep but, but relatively fixed body of knowledge to a wide variety of problems. So I know one of the other things that's happening this year is, that's big, it's another one of those two-year cycles, is the um, lunar nodes changing from Sagittarius Gemini, where they've been dancing right on mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mine too. Uh, Man, the last two and a half years, right? Just, <laughs> yeah. So... Now they're headed towards mine, okay? <laughs> so now it's headed towards Scorpio Taurus. Taurus being way more grounded they i've heard some people say you know that that's going to be some really welcome energy this year yeah i think that that's another big thing and that's going to happen in mid-january mid-january um, the nodes are are invisible they're they're not even really physically there they're mathematical artifacts if you will of the motion of the sun the moon and earth relative to one another and they're the places where the eclipses occur, for those of you who don't know this amongst our listeners. Every 18 months, they shift signs. And that means that every 18 years, they come back to where they were at the time that you were born. Right. So that means that nine years through the cycle, can we swear on this show? I should check yes. in with you first. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that means that the North Node, which ancient sources call the head of the dragon is where the hunger is. It's where the, you find that you have these things that you want and you're looking to, to achieve these particular aims. But that means that the south node, which is the tail of the dragon, that's where the shit comes out. That is where the mess occurs. And it, be, and it comes out because you are failing to pay proper attention to, uh, to the things that you're trying to leave behind, right? It's it's the Marie Kondo thing, right? She wants you to take each and everything that you own and pick it up and say, you bring me joy and you can stay in my life and you don't bring me so much joy and I'm never going to wear you and it's time to let you pass on to a new owner. And that's that's the right way to handle South Node energy and the right way to handle North Node energy is to say, yeah, I need more of this in my life, but not too much, not to, to go too far. Now, uh, as Brighthawk said, the nodes are changing from Gemini to at Gemini for the North Node and Sagittarius for the South Node to Taurus for the North Node and Scorpio for the South Node. Now, we happen to be Sagittarius rising. So this has meant a, a real pushback on our personal egos for those of us who are Sag risings and feeling like we never get our way on anything. <laughs> but it also means that our partners seem to get whatever it is that they want because that's where the hunger is. And the desire on the part of Sagittarius risings have been to make sure that our partners are happy. Uh, guess who got married in the last 18 months, right? <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> so there's, there's tremendous value in treating the North and South nodes as if they were real objects, even though they're not, because they do have real effects in our lives. But once they transit into Taurus and, 
and Scorpio, it means that the things that you have learned over the last 18 months, you can sort of put behind you because now you have a new set of challenges. For those of us who are Sagittarius risings, that amounts to we are going to be having a lot more pressure to, and more desire to have a really high quality daily life experience. We're going to want to do all of the things. We're going to want to hang out with all of our friends. We're want, going to want to take all of the astrology appointments. And for me, it's going to be, I want to get back to my sewing. And our days are just going to be packed. In the words of the old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, we are just going to want to fill our daily lives with as much stuff as we can. That's the, the Scorpio side is in our 12th house if we have Sagittarius rising. And so the way that the shit comes out is that we don't spend enough time on self-care. We don't take sufficient time to retreat and contemplate lessons learned. We don't actually think about what dreams we're trying to achieve. And mm. we let our health suffer as a result. Mm. So those are the four ways that a Sagittarius rising experiences this particular transit. And it's exacerbated by the fact that we've got Uranus in Taurus. So at some point, that north node is going to be passing right over the planet that signals upheaval and revolution. So we're going to be right in the thick of it. Now, that's just Sagittarius risings. Other signs that have other rising signs are going to be experiencing this in other parts of their chart. So if you're a Taurus rising, it's going to be feeling like you are incredibly greedy and you just need this, that, and the other thing. And you need all of the creature comforts and you need all of the possible things to come into your life over the next 18 months. And the best way to make sure that you get them is to take them from your partner, right? That's what the North node, South node combination means. And that is a great prescription for ruining your relationships. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> right? because, because that's where the shit is going to come out. Your, mm. your partner uh, is represented, if you're a Taurus rising, your partner is represented by Scorpio in your chart. And Scorpio is a secret keeper. They feel in things deeply intensely. There's an almost uh, sexual need to keep secrets. They are going to hide how you are making them feeling until it becomes explosively dangerous. And then they're going to lash out and be very upset and angry with you. So you have the next 18 months are telling you, you have to up your conversation game. You have to up your communication skills. You have to buy into a, a much larger experience of how the world is going to be working. And that's starting, as I said, in mid-January. There's no reason why you can start upping the communication game right now. Sounds important. So I think it is. Everyone, note communication. Well, we didn't, and he only talked about a couple of different uh, placements. Like, I know there's probably... I know I'm a Scorpio rising, so that makes me go, uh-oh, and Uranus is on top of my ascendant. So, so, so if you've got a Scorpio rising and you've got, um, if you have a Scorpio rising, that means that 
right now, uh, your north node is in the eighth house of partners resources and the south node is in the place of property and personal possessions. So that probably means that your wallet has been under a lot of pressure in the last 18 months. And maybe bad. <laughs> maybe you have had to shrink your body of personal possessions in some fashion. Like you've gone through a Marie Kondo minimalist kind of, of process. To We're some always degree. trying to do that. I, did, well, I already did. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. My, my note is also there. Ah, uh, so no you're also... Out you're also experiencing this 18 year cycle, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but if you've got Uranus on the North, on your ascendant, that also means that you are halfway through the complete Uranus cycle of 84 years, you are experiencing the Uranus opposition, which usually happens depending on retrogrades between 41 and 45. And, with some clients, I can look at a chart and I can say, oh, look, you're having your Uranus opposition. That is a red sports car and an 18-year-old girlfriend. Oh, and no. They, and they say, it was blue when she was 23. How did you know that? <laughs> right? So so for you, this is happening now-ish. <laughs> this is happening now-ish, right? It may not be happening this week or this month, but it's coming. And the way that that has a tendency to manifest right now for you is having to be the support person while your partner's life goes through significant upheavals. So Brighthawk, you have a responsibility here to make sure that you make sure that uh, Hollis feels supported even while they're supporting you. <laughs> Always. That's what makes us a great team. Absolutely. We support each other. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, like she supports me. I'm dealing with some sick Easy things that has to do with my Jupiter and Aries and Chiron and Aries. So, yeah, but I think that I think that one of the things that you can understand is for people for viewers watching is that how and where these things affect you will depend on where things are placed in your natal chart. And sometimes it's even worth to look at your progress chart, but your natal chart is really like the map of this. And if you're on astro.com, if you just hit the button with transits, it will show where planets are on the outside of your circle. And you just kind of intuit what they mean. So Jupiter, we just told you, means expansion, right? Aquarius is a little rebellious, but for a greater cause, right? And seeing the big picture and so right and having a, a very expansive long view of things which i think is one of the things that uh that saturn and aquarius and covid have taught us this time around is that you really have to be thinking about the big picture and the larger implications of service it does no good if a hundred percent of the people in your own county or even your home state are vaccinated if the rest of the world isn't. Uh, and that's been one of the big lessons that we've seen from around the world is that, you know, the, some, the rich countries cannot simply hoard all of the, the health resources and keep everybody else out of the game. 
The one thing I want to address real quick is Sandy, um, you're saying that you don't like Discord, but it could be because you have strong Libra placements. Uh, mm -hmm. Libra tends to avoid most conflict. And there's probably some other signs too and placements that could cause that. And it's best to really, honestly, it's that's what astrologers are for is because every single human has, I don't think I've ever seen two charts that look the same. And every single human is, even twins usually have at least some people that are born within a few minutes of each other. They still have some mild differences and each person is unique and that's why an astrologer is important because an astrologer can look at your chart and we've studied most of us have studied for years possibly a lifetime of and we help you look at it and understand how it's going to affect you personally um, and that's kind of like the gift of an astrologer. That's what they do. That's why you get astrology reports, uh, astrology readings. That's why you get private readings so that the astrologer can help it apply to you, uniquely you, because each one of us is unique. And just about the time you understand your chart, you realize everything's in motion. <laughs> and those things are called transits. And then all of a sudden you have to figure out and understand what is it? What is a conjunction? Conjunction is what it sounds like. Planets near each other in, in a close enough orb where they influence each other's energy versus an opposition. Two things at talking to each other at different uh, opposite each other, right? Versus a trine, which trines are often called kisses from the universe. Those are called blessings or easy energy. But They're really nice. I like them. When there's too many trines, Rick Levine talks about if there's too many trines, life is too easy and you don't get on with what you're supposed to get on with. And so life throws us squares and this square is all about a challenge. Square energy, the Saturn Uranus square that is, you know, just keeps clicking every however many months it is. What is it? God, well, this one is going to be going off and on for most of the year, but right. It's but like it's worth like thinking about that, right? Every planet, you could probably give it a name, right? So Mercury is expertise or intellectual capability. Um, Venus is love and desire. The, the moon is psychic energy, but it's also your intuition, or your gut reaction to things. The, the sun is your higher mind. It is your soul. It is your higher vision for how the world should be. Mars is your ambition. Jupiter is your capacity for generosity and kindness and forgiveness. Saturn is about your need for structure. Uranus is about your independence. Uh, Neptune is about your dreams, and Pluto is about your avarice. That means that when planets come together, you're going to have a conjunction, and it's like the meeting point of those two ideas. We are experiencing a, uh, a mix of conjunctions. We have two of them have already happened, and the third is happening in early March of Venus and Pluto. Right. So that is a conjunction so it is a meeting 
standpoint or a, a, a sympathy, if you will, between desire and greed, between mm-hmm. a greediness for love. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of different ways that that can manifest, right? It can manifest as strong sexual desires. It can manifest as, um, I don't know, I want a BDSM playroom. It can manifest as, uh, I really, really, really want this person in my life and I am prepared to stalk them for it. It can manifest as, I want safety and security so I will get with somebody who is wildly inappropriate for me, even though, because I know that they can take care of me, right? All of those are manifestations of Venus and Pluto in sympathy with one another in a conjunction. And we're in that, we're in the middle of that now. We had two of the conjunctions in December, and then the third one will come in March when Venus finishes her retrograde and meets up with Pluto for the third time. And it's it's not uncommon in um, in very new, fresh relationships that take place under a Venus Pluto conjunction for them to feel a whole lot like that Mickey Rourke movie and Kim Bassinger nine and a half weeks. There's this incredible intensity to them and you just really want to get on with it. But there are things about that relationship that are wildly out of, out of order and you can't possibly stay in them. Right. The other side of that kind of relationship where you have been in a relationship for a long period of time is a hunger for something new or to switch it up in some fashion or for one partner to feel like they're not getting what they need and needing a deeper level of communication than they've had before. Like that kind of stuff is always happening in people's lives. They always need to be thinking about how they're going to deepen their communication and deepen their connections with people that they've been with for more than eight years. And you're going to every really about every, every year, you're going to have a Venus Pluto conjunction. And this one is taking place in Capricorn. So it's really about uh, how you, how you make yourself useful to your partner, a greediness for usefulness, but also Uh, is my partner providing sufficient service to me? And those are the kinds of issues that frequently come up under a, under a Pluto Venus conjunction that would occur in Capricorn. Hmm. Wow. So, well, and it sounds like that happens. I think when does the, when does Venus meet Pluto? So two of the conjunctions have already taken place. Um, And I think that one of them was exact on Christmas. So if you found yourself on Christmas Day looking across the the Chinese takeout or uh, across the Christmas dinner table at your partner and going, what are we doing to one another right now? And why are we why are we at this tedious dinner party with our family? Uh, You have a conversation that's in order. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And it looks like the conjunction happens again, February 21st through March 13th. Yeah. They're going to be sort of hanging out with one another. Just in time for Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. I was looking at some other, sorry. 
take a look at that conjunction though, because if you know, if you were to look at a chart for that particular moment, February 21st, hang on, I'm, my chart is set for January 31st and that's not quite far enough. Yeah, Mars is in 19 Capricorn, Pluto is 27 Capricorn starting the February 20th. Yeah, so, so February 23rd uh, is, the, I think, the day of the Venus-Mars conjunction. So that's love and ambition and greed all together in love, the, ambition, and greed. In the, love ambition, in and Capricorn. greed. All, all in Capricorn. And they're in the third part of Capricorn, which Austin Coppock called the throne. Right? Kings and queens and princesses wear crowns, but they have a whole support staff behind them that actually run things. And that's the throne. That's the, the that's firm. the fulfillment layer. That's the guy who carries Prince William's wallet. Prince William doesn't have a wallet. He can't go into a Starbucks. But if he wants coffee, he's got somebody who's going to, you know, go down the street and get him a cup of coffee and bring him back a cup of coffee. And the throne is is all of those flunkies and arbiters who do things. So chances are that by February, the question that's going to arise in a lot of relationships is how do the tasks and jobs of our lives get fulfilled by being in partnership? That's the argument, if you will. That's the, that's the place where the rubber meets the road. And there are a lot of different ways that that can look, but what was the name of the author? Karen Kathleen Norris wrote a book in the in the late 90s or maybe early 2000s about life in intentional communities like monasteries. And she said more intentional communities break up over who takes out the garbage than over high-minded ideals and principles, right? right. That's that's what this Jupiter that's what this Venus Mars Pluto conjunction is really about is who takes out the garbage? Who's responsible for doing the grunt work that keeps a relationship going? Wow. Who's doing the dishes? <laughs> who's doing yeah. the dishes? <laughs> who's cleaning out the cat box? <laughs> right. Practical, yeah. practical, practical. But that but that happens, that happens every year, right? Like Venus and Mars do a dance almost every year, from what I most think. every year they do they do do a little bit of a dance. Um I I'm not gonna get the quote exactly right, but there's this idea from a Renaissance author named Marsilio Ficino that when Mars chases Venus into a conjunction that it is about the masculine energy being uh, being more ardent and more passionate and, and frankly, more of a sex pest. <laughs> that's not Marsilio Ficino's words. That's mine. And that when Venus chases uh, Mars, it's much more of a seduction. It is much more of I'm going to use my feminine wiles to lure you into the bedroom. That's the kind of energy that you get. They don't always meet up on Pluto, though, right? No. So. And, this, and this time around, they're all in the same deckhand, which is called the throne. And it's really about this idea of who takes out the garbage. How do, 
how do the the mundane tasks of of love and ardency and passion get taken taken care of we we have a couple of comments in the chat that i can see i don't know that i see all of them but one of them is one of them is from uh janelle yes can you express your opinion on mars cancer house 12 retrograde exalted i assume that means in their birth chart in janelle's birth chart I would presume so. So Mars in Cancer is not an exaltation. Uh, I don't think that's right. I, but Mars take is said to take his joy in the sixth house, but has no particular dignity except um, in the in house twelve. But Mars right. in Cancer, depending on where it is, is one of the triplicity lords. Uh, in a water sign. And this is kind of like being the governor or the secretary of a, of state in a, in a state government. You're not the top banana, but you have a high level of dignity. And Mars in Cancer has that high level of, of dignity as one of the senior, you know, senior rulers on station when the moon isn't there. So one of the ways that that can manifest is as a lot of fury or frustration, but it can also be a passion for law and for making sure that people are taken care of, right? It is an ambition to take care of people, but it is also a, an ambition to take care of people from a place of safety because house 12 is about retreat from the world in medieval thinking things happening in your 12th house had to do with going into monasteries for a period of time for a retreat and it means something similar in vedic astrology uh, with regard to going to an ashram under the care of a guru so it is this idea of taking care of people but in positions of relative safety or retreat such as therapy right and it does not necessarily mean that you have to go into therapy. It means you might benefit from helping others work through a therapeutic process. So that would be one way of interpreting that. It's not the only way. It depends on what else is going on in the chart. But that would be a good place to start. I know I have a, I have a stellium in the 12th house. And the one thing I've learned... about about the 12th house is that other people see it and you don't necessarily yeah it's really hard to be your own astrologer it's helpful to have one sort of in your back pocket that you check in with periodically to make sure you're thinking about your own chart correctly yeah so and i'm just saying that and it said they just said that i am in school to be a therapist. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. Well, how about that? How about that? <laughs> well, you, at least That's you great. just now got validation from the stars That's that you great. are on the right path. In case that was a question for you. And Janelle, way, if you're if you're comfortable, you can put your actual degree in, and we can look at it even closer from the perspective of uh, of what decan it's in, or even what term it's in. And today is our beloved Jamie Angel's birthday. Happy, happy birthday. Happy solar returns or happy. Yeah, yeah happy birthday. solar return. 
today does, is my birthday, says Jamie. And they said, looks like sun, moon, and Venus are all having a party on the edge Capricorn. together. That's yeah, true. There is so a there's a fantastic thing that we can talk about, which is your solar return chart. Yeah. And when you do a solar return chart, what you do is you find the exact moment in this specific year that the sun is at the same degree and minute as it was at the moment that you were born. And that will give you a solar return chart. And you can then interpret that chart as if it were a brand new chart for your entire year ahead. And it gives you a lot of insight into how things are going to work out this specific year. There's more to the technique than, than just that. You're also supposed to know something called a perfection year, but I'm not going to try to explain that at the moment. But the, the essence of it is that the natal chart represents what the planets promised to you at the moment of your birth. You can really think of the planets as being like spirits or gods, the way that ancient peoples did. And when you do that, they're saying, based on their specific playment, placements, here's what I'm going to give you as a birthday present over the course of your entire year. The solar return chart and the placement of the planets in the solar return chart tells you which of those promises they can genuinely deliver this year. And that becomes a really powerful technique for analyzing your own chart year to year and getting a sense of what you're going to have happen to you in a given year. Do you use software for that? Absolutely, I use software for that. Uh, I know, but which software do you use? Uh, I use a package that's available for Macintosh called iFemeris. I-P-H-E-M-I-Femeris. I'll put it in the chat. I-P-H-E-R-M-E-I-P-H-E-M-E-R-I-S. Okay, fantastic. Great. So... And and you can get this from the Apple store if you're on an Apple. I don't know if it's available on, on a Windows platform, but the, the standard, I think, is Astro Gold if you want standalone software on your own computer uh, or astro.com or astro-seek.com allow you to generate free software charts. Yes, uh, I think... Um... Astro.com is what I usually use. Uh, and Astro Dienst. Yeah, Astro Dienst. Mm -hmm. Astro Dienst is another and, great one. Yeah, and it, it has a cho choice for that. So I'm, I'm going to check that out because I had a recent solar return. So I'm curious. That's right. Cool. It's, it's, a, it's a great technique. Uh, and the, the other piece of the technique is called an annual perfection. So you set up the chart for your, for your year, and then starting with the first house, you count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So the first house should be 12, uh, the, the, your 12th year of life, your 24th year of life, your 36th, your 48th. And counting around will bring you around to various years. So I'm currently in a 51st, I happen to be 51 so I'm in a uh, 48 is first house, 49 is second house, 50 is third house, 51 is a fourth house year. It is a year that in my chart is ruled by Pisces. It is a year about house, home, and family. 
and it's the year in which I got married and I bought a house. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, congratulations on those uh, light, like life, life achievements. Thanks, v, uh, Vince Teach Out. If you happen to be on Facebook, uh, offered ifearmist.com. So apparently, ephemeris.com. Yeah. Okay, so you can find the link there. I also put mm -hmm. it in the chat. And Janelle here has put up a lot of placements in their chart, but which one is Mars here? Uh, Mars. Mars is in Cancer at 29. So the, the oh. third decan of Cancer where you have Mars is, is called the overflowing cup. And if you have the Rider Waite Smith deck, it's associated with the Four of Cups, right? So the Four of Cups is the young man sitting under the tree, and there are three gold cups on the ground in front of him, and a hand is offering a fourth cup from out of a cloud in magic. And the young man is sitting there with his arms crossed going like, you've given me four cups already. Why do I have to have a fourth one? You've given me three. Why do I have to have a fourth? So it's this idea of the overflowing cups, but it's the overflowing of emotion, right? So what is a therapist expected to deal with is a whole bunch of, of people who are overflowing with emotion and just getting one more cup after another. It's, it's a powerful and important piece of work in the world. And I'm really glad that I don't have to do it. I do it in a different way, I suppose. I'm doing it with, with the astrology work, but I'm not cut out to be a therapist. Astrology is therapeutic, but it's not therapy. And, uh, and I think it's important to distinguish that. If you need a therapist, you should see one. If you, but anybody can use an astrologer. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, we, we talked earlier about stelliums and stelliums for anybody who doesn't know is when you have more than three planets in one sign. And in the beginning of March, we have a water stellium between the sun, Mercury, Jupiter, and Neptune, uh, all in Pisces from March 16th to March 22nd. Tell Let's, us about that and what that portends. That's a lot of water. It's a lot <laughs> of water. And... Uh, and there's probably a point in there. I'm going to back up a little bit to March 2nd. Okay. Because on March 2nd, the moon will be in Pisces as well. So what happens when you have three or more planets in a single sign? It's that idea of meeting, uh, meeting different powers or having all powers come together. Mm-hmm. Pisces is about seeing the big picture. It's about wholeness. It's about the completion of cycles. And that day on March 2nd, the moon is going to be passing over sun, which is the higher mind. So the gut and the higher mind are going to be thinking in sync. And then generosity comes into it. And then putting dreams into action. Mm. So the gut reaction is going to go through this incredible forceful push through all of these big ideas. Oh, I feel a, a, a sense in my gut that my higher mind has to put some work in around generosity. 
my higher mind has to put a, some work in around creating uh, or putting dreams into reality. So that's March 2nd that that happens. And then the moon passes on. Uh, I'm flipping ahead too fast. March 3rd, the moon is 80% of the way through Pisces. March 4th, it's gone. And then a few days later, uh, what did you have it as? March 16th or something? March, March 16th. 16th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our friend Mercury shows up a few days before that. And now it's going to be Mercury, Jupiter, uh, Neptune, and the sun. Wow. All all in this place of wholeness and completion of cycles. And Mercury is a really fast moving planet. So it's going to pass over all of those. So at the very beginning of March, your gut feeling is, oh gosh, I have got to do something about generosity. I've got to do something about putting dreams into action. And you have to collect those dreams at the very, very beginning of March, because later in March, the intellectual capacity to realize those things catches up. So spend the first week of March capturing the ideas, capturing the gut feelings about what needs to be done, and then use the Mercury passage over those same planets to put those dreams into action. And the lovely, lovely thing about that is that one of the things that is frequently in that particular sign over the course of those days is the lot of fortune. The lot of fortune is, again, one of these invisible points that's calculated based on the position of the sun and the moon added to the ascendant. And that position is saying, not only can you put intellectual work to make your dreams come true, but there's money in doing, involved in doing so. You will make money, you will be financially successful by intellectualizing the gut reactions that you have. So that's kind of how you play with cool. stelliums, uh, not just in an astrological sense, but in a magical sense, right? You want to be able to translate the gut reactions of the moon's movement into the intellectual action that is specified by Mercury's movement. That's awesome. That's, That's hopeful. News. That's very hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> That's great news. Making your dreams come true. Make sure you pay attention. Yeah. Write that stuff down at the journal it. Whatever you do is your process at the beginning of March and putting it into action as the month goes on. I've put a reminder on my digital camera for certain trends <laughs> and it pops up and it says, by the way, Mars is moving into Pisces, you know, or something like that. And then I'm like, oh. because sometimes you can get caught up in the moment. You can get Absolutely. caught up and you're like, wait, and you don't think of astrology in the moment. All you can think about is whatever you're sitting and staring at. And so um, to have those little reminders, so um, I I find are helpful. So I'll, I I have Brighthawk jotted it down. So I'm hoping to put that one in my in my. Let's talk about a little less favorable stellium, right? Because okay. not every stellium is useful. Mm. Not every stellium is good. Right. Because because stelliums don't just mean things for our personal 
transits. We have to remember that astrology was originally developed by priests standing in Egyptian temples and by priests standing on top of Babylonian ziggurats who were trying to figure out how to keep themselves alive when the king didn't know what to do and needed some good advice. The oldest pieces of data that we have about astrology are tablets of, of clay fired by priests where they noted down the positions of the seven wandering planets that they could see. The moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Those were the first seven columns of these very primitive databases. And then they listed the price of sheep the price of grain, the price of oil, the price of wine in columns. And they're, you know, these tablets are fairly big. If I were to hold one up, it would be the width of my bent arm. And they're keeping track of this information for days and weeks and months. And sometimes it says weather bad, couldn't see. But they're essentially creating the first body of economic data. And they're trying to understand market conditions based on the positions of planets hmm. and astrology grew out of that so when the king comes to them and says will it be a good harvest or a bad harvest they look up and they go oh well the last time that mars was here uh it was a bad harvest and we had to go to war with our neighbors oh you king you might want to buy some extra grain this year to feed the army like that's the that's sort of the primitive stuff that we know about astrology. So starting on March 27th, we have a growing connection between Mars, Venus, and Saturn in the last part of Aquarius. That part of Aquarius that we mentioned is called the knot, the uh -huh. untangling, the disengagement. And that is where we have Mars, and Saturn, and Venus. Now, Venus says, oh, everything is sweet and lovely, and we should all get together, and we should have a huge puppy pile, and wouldn't it be nice if we all got to hug one another after two and a half years apart? And Saturn and Mars meeting together in a fixed sign like Aquarius has been a marker of plague for 2,500 years in the astrological historical record. This is not a good combination. This is not a good stellium for us to, to just throw our hands up in the air and say the pandemic is over. No. And it was the Mars-Saturn conjunction in early Aquarius in March and April of 2020 that kicked off the expansion of the pandemic in the United States. So, yeah, so there's, I was just about to say, is there any end to it? That's always the big question. When will it end? If it won't end now, when will it end? So the next time that Saturn and Mars meet, they will not be in Aquarius. And so I think that within two years, we can say that the cycle is going to, the cycle is, this particular cycle of plague is going to be over. It, we might get a different kind of health crisis but it's not going to be COVID. It's not going to be this kind of pneumonia in the lungs. And, and it will look very different. But when? The part of, 
in two more years. Two, two more, more years. years. Okay, that's about what I okay. That's what I've been doing. I think that's what Ann Ortley also says. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two more years. The the other thing that's related to that is Neptune is in the third decan of Pisces. Now Neptune has a hundred and thirty-five year cycle. And its cycle, 135 years, you go back to, you take a, you take a hundred, um, 1348 to 1350 was the uh, Black Death in Europe. So you take 2022 minus 1348, you get 674. You divide 674 by 135 and you get 4.99. So we are almost at the end of the fifth uh, Neptune cycle since the Black Death wiped out 50% of the population of Europe. We're almost at five of those cycles. And if we take 2021 and we subtract 135 from that, that's the 1886 cholera and tuberculosis epidemics. We subtract 135 from that. It's 1751 to 1753, which is the yellow fever and smallpox epidemics. You go back another 135 years from that, it's 1616 which was the smallpox epidemic that affected North America just before colonization. You go back 135 years before that, it's 1481. There was a Black Death explosion in Europe and uh, in what is now the Middle East. You go back 135 years from that, and it's 1346 and the outbreak of the Black Death. Neptune in Pisces does not cause the outbreak of disease. Neptune in Pisces represents misinformation about medical data. It's when your theory of disease doesn't match how the disease operates. Wow. Right? So it's not the case that plagues don't arise at other times. It is the case that when Neptune is in Pisces, and particularly in, not, in Pisces 3, where it is now, that misinformation or misunderstanding of the medical data makes the plague substantially worse than it would have been otherwise. Fascinating. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is the part of astrology that I always say. So for those of you that were like, who would have known this virus would have done this to us? And I'm like, well, mm. astrologers um, and uh, biologists, um, they've kind of been warning about it. <laughs> and it's in this, it's in the stars and even the separation amongst vaccine and not vaccine and, and all the misinformation that's going around. I feel like all of it, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. And that's like what you have to conclude, even though it's hard and you can't make sense of it. And you're kind of like, what do I do with this shit? Like, that's kind of how it feels sometimes. And I think the best thing you can do is say, 
I hope the universe has a big plan for this. You know? And I think it does. I think I go back and forth on that. I go back and forth on the idea of whether there's a plan or whether it's it's random. This guy I really like from the Middle Ages and, and Renaissance, Marsilio Ficino, says that the planets don't cause these things to happen. The planets are responding to the same invisible forces that we are, but we see their movements much more clearly because they are so much bigger than we are. And I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea that there are these huge forces at, at work that, that create waves in our, in our lives and in our experience. And we happen to be riding on that particular ocean, but so is the rest of the universe. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a plan behind those waves. It's just that the size of the ocean is so much vaster that the planets give us signals about what waves are crashing on our particular beach at any given moment. Right. There's, there's some value in that because, you know, people have disabilities, people have chronic illnesses, people have um, all sorts of very strange experiences and and everyone is a niche case in some fashion or another some struggle that they're dealing with and to say that that's all purposeful for some people can be really really painful and and really damaging and i don't think that that's true i think that everybody is caught up in the same wave and some people it's nearly drowning and it's really hurtful and painful, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the universe is causing it deliberately to them personally. Right. right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I, and I definitely want to uh, pull away from um, like, sometimes we want to blame Saturn for, you know, whatever. And sometimes it feels good to do that. Not going to doubt that, that you could just be like, damn it, Saturn, or, you know, Mars or something. But for me, I think for me, uh, and that has a lot to do with my stellium is believing that there is a bigger plan to all of this. And that's just who I am. But of course, there are millions of difference of belief systems. And I'm aware that everyone has a different view of the yeah. universe. I, I tend to come down on the side of, of something called the dream of Ajax, which comes from sort of Hellenistic era Greece. So third century to first third century BC to first century AD. And the idea in the dream of Ajax is that Ajax is in a battle in the Trojan war. He falls down unconscious during a, an attack on the Trojans. He's carried to his tent and he's insensate in his tent for three days and they decide that they're going to see whether he wakes up or whether he dies. And after three days, they're going to put him on the funeral pyre and burn him, whether he's dead or alive. He wakes up in time. And he says, I've had this crazy dream. I woke up at the battle site with all of the other Trojans and all of the Greeks who died there. And some people showed up and said, hey, wasn't that great? And they gave us the chance to do an instant replay of the battle that led to our death. And we watched and we got to cheer for one another. The Trojans weren't interested in fighting us in this sort of instant replay, but, you know, we got to hang out with them and, and you know, drink with them. And then our guide said, hey, you got to come with us now. And we went 
someplace else. And there was a huge party and we got to meet everybody that we had ever known who was already dead. And we all had a party together. And then after the party, we got led to this place and the, it was this huge field and it was covered with lives. And you could pick up each individual life and sort of look at it like it was a snow globe and see it from a lot of different angles. And you couldn't make out all that many details. But based on the fact that you could sort of see most of what was going on, even if you couldn't get a, a really clear idea, you had to decide which of these lives you wanted to live next. And then you carried your life off to another place. And they said, is this the one you want? And they said, yeah. And we walked down some steps and they said, okay, drink from that fountain and then go through that tunnel. And that's the life that you'll leave, live next. And Ajax said, I got up to the front of the line and they said, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be here. Put down that life. We'll have it for you when you're ready to pick up next time. And, uh, and all you have to do is go back through that tunnel and make sure you drink from the fountain first so that you forget that you were here. And Ajax says, I pretended to drink, but I didn't. And I came through the tunnel and I woke up in my tent. And I like that. Right. I like that a lot because that says, OK, you have a general sense, a broad outline of your next reincarnation in the period between lives. You're not going to know all of the details. You're not going to know whether this is a life where you have a chronic illness. You are not going to know whether this is a life in which you're going to be homeless or have significant financial difficulties or horrible tragedies. But there's some piece of that life that you went, I want to do that. I want to have that scene. And I, at some point I read an, a, an interview, I think it was Tom Cruise. And he said, sometimes you read a script as an actor and you go, I'm going to put a million dollars or $3 million of my own money into making this movie happen just because I want to do this scene in this movie. I don't care about the rest of it. I want this scene to be in the movie. And I think that that's kind of what it's like. I think that we get to pick lives based on one or two really important scenes that we feel like we want to live. And then we get here and go, shit, this isn't what I signed up for at all. <laughs> right. I, I totally resonate with the, uh, we have all signed up for this. We are all here because we're supposed to be. And I really resonate with your Ajax story. I think that's really cool. It's very um, it's very resonant with um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yeah, it is resonant with that. And it's, I think it's interesting that a lot of cultures that have reincarnation in their, in their psychological makeup or in their cultural design kind of have very similar frameworks for understanding it. Uh, it's almost like they've got some sort of outside experience that lets them know that this is what's going on. Um, it's fascinating. One of the, we were talking earlier about the nodes and one of the astrology podcast sessions about the nodes mentioned that in Vedic astrology, since about 1930, there's the idea that the North node is connected with future identities, future incarnations. And the south node is connected with past incarnations. So I have 
the south node in the house of career and profession. And that says at some level, you're going to struggle and, and fight to be in an office space or in a school space because you've done that kind of life so much in the past. And what you have to do in this life because of where your north node is, is be at home and be in a family situation. And if you have any work, you're going to be working from home and it's going to be a series of odd jobs, which after 20 years of struggling in middle school classrooms and trying to be a teacher, I'm now really kind of enjoying my life and the chance to be at home a lot more. And it's nice. I like it. <laughs> and you have so many skills and talents. So right? many things that I I love doing. So from woodworking it, to sewing to astrology to I'm sure farming. I know no all sorts. No, I don't do any farming. I live on a on a hill that faces the north, so Oops. we don't get a lot of sunlight here. We uh, grow a lot of trees. <laughs> enjoy your tree. Hey, I we like his neighbors. They're some of the best neighbors you could have. Um, forest. So what are the other important points that we need to remember as we wrap up the, you know, we have a little bit of time left. Um, is there other important things that we need to know for 2022? Uh, I think the last one is that we have a Mars retrograde from September through uh, late October. I think it ends around... October 18th or so. Okay. Uh, no, it, it actually goes, it, it doesn't actually end until we're almost in next year. Oh my, um, that's really long. So pretty much the fall. Through so early pretty winter. much the fall. Wow. And, and remember that Mars represents your ambition and it represents your drive. So if you go into into the autumn feeling like you have lethargy and you're slow and it's not just you it's the whole world is going to be feeling like this to some degree <laughs> it's not quite struggling through mud but it is you know feeling like your drive and your verve and your energy have been taken mm. away from you mm. and the, the best way to handle that kind of a retrograde is to have an existing energy practice that you don't let go during that last part of the year. So if you're a yoga practitioner, just stick with your practice, even if you're slowing down a little bit. If you've got a Tai Chi practice, just keep it up. If you've got a meditation practice and that retrograde rolls around and you're like, I just want to drop this, don't do that. Shorten your practice maybe, but don't drop it entirely. Just remember that it is it, it's temporary. That's one of the really critical lessons of astrology is this too shall pass both good and bad, both end eventually. And we get new patterns and new cycles started. Right. So remember that it's not forever and, and keep to the grind, but you, but allow yourself to relax a little bit from trying to push so hard during the fall and an early part of the winter. Good advice. Fantastic. Good advice. And I'm just going to say that, um, Andrew, I, you have some um, articles on your on your blog, right? And yeah, you I have. Write, is it weekly or monthly? It's about every 10 days. Every time that the sun enters a, a new deccan, a new 10th 
or one thirty-sixth of the sky, I write a new column. The uh, the next column or the last column came out on the thirtieth uh, at andrewbwatt.com, and the next one comes out probably on the ninth. So that's a that's a pretty good estimate. Is that it usually comes out a couple of days before the first, a couple of days before the tenth, and a couple of days before the twentieth of, of each month. Fantastic. And if you and you do private natal chart readings too, right? I do private natal chart readings, and the blog is is a uh, is a ten day forecast including horoscopes. So you're yeah. So if you're looking to just read on, uh, you know, keep up and know what's going on in the sky. When you start paying attention to what's in the sky, you can change your life. For real. Yeah, it can really change the way you see things. But remember, it's just it's just space weather. It tells you whether to carry an umbrella or wear your booties, and and primarily, it's about making sure that you have a little bit of forewarning so you can go about your ordinary days. Don't be scared of the sky. Treat it as just another form of weather. Exactly. And I think for, um, maybe some people could relate to this is that, like, if I know that things are going to slow down in, in the fall, right. when they do, um, I won't try to make up a story about it. I won't try to be like, why am I feeling like this? Am I going through depression again? What's happening to me, right? Like, I don't have to make up a story. I could just be like, I think the astrology might be influencing my energy right now. What did that astrologer say? Oh, he said to just keep doing my practice, even if I want to quit. And um, and then that's what I do. And I just do what, you know, what the astrologers recommend and what I seen, you know, six months prior or whatever. And I find that that helps me. That helps me get through the moment instead of making up a story about whatever, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on when you don't know, you know, so. Right. Well, and I also wanted to touch on, I thought it was fascinating before we started the program, we talked about the closeness of the orbs of Sun, Mars, sorry, Sun, Mercury, Venus. And we were talking about how, um, in my chart, those three are in the same sign, but how you've frequently noticed that trans folks, those three signs will each be in their own sign. Yes. Uh, I have, a, I have a, a, a class, if you will, of LGBTQ clients where the, the sun, the sun, Venus and Mercury all have to be fairly close together because they're all inside the orbit of earth. Right. So Venus can never be more than two signs away from the sun. Mercury can never be more than one sign away from the sun. And it's frequently the case that my LGBTQ clients will have one of each of those, each in their own sign rather than all clustered together, or they'll have one in a separate sign and two in the same sign. But, uh, I, I even have a specialty class of, of clients. There's four or five of them where the sun is in Virgo. So it's one sign away from a sign that it rules and can't really control that. And then Mercury is one sign away from that in Libra, which is a sign ruled by Venus, but not Mercury. And then Venus will be in Scorpio, which is a Mars sign. So they're 
they're not only in the wrong place or they're not, it's not that, how do I say this? They're not just all not in the same sign. They're each one sign out of place from a sign that they rule and in the sign of, of a planet that they don't have nearly as good of a relationship with. It's weird, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's another way of explaining somebody's life to them. And some people need that. Well, I thought it was interesting that in us, so maybe you can see if this is true for your group, Andrew, that a lot of non-binary people have Uranus on their ascendant. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's what uh, uh, Nadia I, Shaw, Nadia can, Shaw told me that. I think I can think of six of my clients that meet that specific criterion. Yes. I have Uranus. She did a pretty big study. And I thought fascinating. And so so keep your eye out on that. But she will, she did say it was not a hundred percent, and that there are some people um that have other placements, and it it was hard for her to narrow down exactly why someone is LGBTQ. Um, like you know, to align it in their chart, meaning I I think that there are a lot of different signifiers. I mean, uh, one of the ones that I encountered recently is uh, if you have Venus in an angle of the chart in a Mercury ruled sign. So if you have Venus in uh, Gemini or Virgo, and it is also in the first, seventh, fourth, or 10th house, uh, that, um, who is it? It's... uh, it's Dorotheus of Sidon. So that's second century, maybe third century BC, I think, is saying that that is a specific indicator for a man who loves other men. Oh. Like, so there are, I think that there are a lot of indicators and a lot of different kinds of indicators of bisexuality, of, uh, of transsexual identity, of lesbianism of queerness in general i think that it appears in a lot of different ways How and cool. i think it's i think it appears in a lot of different ways and it expresses in a lot of different ways yeah i would agree um i, I totally agree with you every queer person that i've ever encountered if i've looked at their chart it's always been it makes sense when i look at it absolutely um, it makes sense even for like their expression, like whether it's gender fluid or gender queer or non-binary or, or just, you know, they're a drag queen, for instance, or a drag king, (laughs) Um, you know, that can have a lot of Leo uh, placements and sort of public image type places, placements. So, (laughs) so it's fun. I would agree with that. It, it, but I think it's also important to say that hardly anyone has a completely unique configuration that says this person is queer. Like there are categories and classes and groups, even within astrology that we can point to and say, Oh, look, you're just like these other six people. You are not alone. There are other people like you that have this. And there is a, there is a way that this expresses itself both in the sky and in your life. And it's okay. Yes, exactly. I like to say we're all perfect, perfectly imperfect perfection um, reflections of the universe. Nobody was born at exactly the same time and place as you were. 
No. All right. Well, this has been a beautiful show and a wonderful conversation to be with you, Andrew. I totally appreciate you and all of your knowledge of history. And wow, you always blow me away. Your brain is so hugely uh, massive, in my opinion. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I loved being here and I uh, hope we get to get get to do this again sometime soon oh yeah so it was great to hear from you and such great insights i just i find astrology fascinating no surprise i'm a sag right we love philosophies maps (laughs) ways of looking at the world and i i'm just so deeply grateful for astrology and how it's it's informed my life in so many good beautiful ways like the first reading i ever had you know many, many, many years ago, it was that experience of realizing, oh, that's me, that freckle, that stop trying to rub that out. Stop trying to rub that out. That's not going to change. You know, this is who you are, the fundamentals of who you are. You know, there were certain things about sages were known for blurting out things, but sometimes sages can go too far with a quick tongue. And I felt like I needed to dial it back because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. And then I realized that's where your humor comes from. And that's what people like about you. So there was all of these little nuances that astrology helped me sort of become the best version of myself for lack of a better way, more creative way of putting it. But this has been a great conversation. I think the world of you, it's so great to kick off 2022 with you and I hope people took away some really good pieces of information that they can use for the rest of the year. Well, Donna popped in and gave us some love. Thanks, Donna. Hey, Donna. I love you. Thank you, Donna. And, and Jamie, Jamie Angel said it was very informative. Oh, so good. That's good. fantastic. So I think, I think people are loving it. And what I'm going to offer now is a little tarot reading with the pride love is love deck. And remember each one of these cards is done by a different uh, a different LGBTQIA artist. So it's a completely collaborative deck. And uh, we totally, I totally appreciate this deck for its collaboration with my stellium and Libra. Um, <laughs> collaboration is my way. And so um, I'm going to pull three cards for the past, the present, and the future. And we'll take a look at where we are this week. And the first card that we have is the Queen of Cups, which in this oh, deck, nice. of course, is very queer. You can see this person is, uh, I would call them maybe a little feminine expressing if you've got to put something on there. But this person is unusually expressing. And it's the Queen, because if you take a look, she's... They are standing up on a pile of rocks with an octopus or something underneath of them, holding up cups of coffee or tea to them as the queen, making an offering to the queen with the beautiful um, bird on their hand, bringing in the messages of spirit in their ear, whispering it in. And this card is all about our power our emotional power and how we hold on to it and how we present it to the world however that might come in for you and so this card is all about 
expressing your most authentic self because when you express authentically you are in your power and that's what this is all about and this is the past of the way we've done that so far in this past year in 2021 I'm sure there have been times that you've been purely authentic and in your power. And the divine is trying to remind you of those moments. And the card for right now is this is in this very moment today. And this is all about reflecting, reflecting. This is the four of swords. And you can see this person is resting at the base of a tree with a sword beside them. And they're reflecting on their other swords and swords typically um, represent thoughts and actions and how they kind of go together, right? And, you know, you think of doing something and you do it, right? And so that's what this is all about. And you can see the dog is snuggling at their, at their feet. And this is all about reflection about what we've done. And so spirit is saying, the universe is saying, good job, reflect on what you have done, because you have done and manifested some beautiful things in this past year, pay attention to them. And keep bringing them forward. Keep going forward with your plans down there. See that one sword that's bes beside them and their backpack right on their back as if they could just stand up and, and take off on their hike, right? So that's what this is all about, about going forward on your plans. And the final card for our future going forward is the King of Wands. And now this is a biker, right, who's... He's uh, he's fairly masculine expressing and, you know, smoking and enjoying himself, but also ready to go. Like he looks like he's waiting for you. Right. He's kind of like, are you ready to go? Let's go. And that's exactly what the energy of 2022 is going to do is it's going to say it's asking you, are you ready? Get your stuff, get your backpack because it's time to go. It's time to go forward with what we're going to do. And um, so that's exactly what this is all about. So the past, which is your, your most powerful self and all of the power that you hold within yourself, keep expressing that, keep bringing it forward so that you can walk forward and bring your most beautiful manifestations and recognize what you have done. Take a moment to reflect on what you have accomplished in this last year and going forward Take it with you. Get ready because the, the motorcycle, the ride is about to begin. Rev up. Get your backpack. Get ready to go. And that's what this is. That's what that reading is all about. Take what you like and leave the rest. Please, uh, whatever, whatever vibrates for you, whatever resonates for you, please use it in the best way that you can. And please, anything that doesn't, just leave it be. It's probably meant for somebody else anyway. So, Andrew, do you have anything else you'd like to share or? I, I don't think so. I think I've said what I needed to say, and it was a remarkable and wonderful conversation. And I wish you all well for 2022. Health, wealth, happiness, and peace to you all. Mm, yes. Well Beautiful. said. Beautiful. <laughs> and thank you, to, most importantly, to all of our viewers we need you. We appreciate you. We love you. Watch out for 2022 because me and lacrosse are putting together some pretty awesome contests and stuff like that. So you can win yourself a free yeah. t-shirt and some other free merchandise. Check it out. Watch. Keep watching. Get to our website. Make sure you uh, take a moment to go to our website, rainbowsoul.show. 
and we're signing off. I hope you enjoyed your 2022 forecast and we'll see you next week with Nick. We'll be celebrating with Nick. Oh, awesome. All right. Good night. <laughs> Thank you for watching Rainbow Soul, a queer perspective on spirituality beyond religion. We appreciate you sharing the show on your timeline, follow us on social media of your choice, and join our Facebook group, Rainbow Soul. We want to hear from you. Share your topic ideas for Hollis and Lacrosse. Explore upcoming shows and interesting guests. The Rainbow Soul Facebook group, where we build community of questioning seekers. Rainbow Soul, where spirituality is our medicine. Support Rainbow Soul. Check out the Rainbow Soul merchandise for your favorite new shirt. A variety of colors and styles to suit your taste. Show off your love for Rainbow Soul. Get cool designs with your favorite quotes. Designs come in a variety of colors so that you can express your most authentic self. Support Rainbow Soul in spreading the word that queer, gender variant, intersex, transgender is sacred. Rainbow Soul, putting the soul back into queer. Order your unique Rainbow Soul merchandise at rainbowsoul.show.